0: or 10 minutes where you just bring energy into yourself, make a really big difference in how much you love yourself and how much you can give to others and your family and friends and the world in a positive way.
1: Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Dr. Carol Laurie. She's a naturopath and chef, and I was thrilled to be able to have her dive into gluten free and low sugar baking tips, especially in this timely manner before the holidays. Let's get started. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today I have on guest Dr. Carol Lori. She's a dedicated practitioner with over three decades of clinical experience as a naturopath, acupuncturist, and homeopath. The environmental impact of our society has severely impacted women's health and hormones, and more than ever, women are suffering from hormone imbalances such as PMS, PCOS, thyroid disturbances, infertility peri- and menopausal difficulties, and even breast cancer. Restoring hormonal balance involves taking charge of as many aspects of your environment, internal and external, as possible, and the emotional landscape must always be considered for there to be real healing. So after 30 years and thousands of patients, Carol has witnessed how healing is always possible. So welcome to the show, Dr. Lori. So
0: happy to be here. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Tell us about yourself and your journey to becoming a
0: naturopath. How did that start? Well, I was always interested in healing and what makes people, ill, and then how do they recover their health? And originally I had planned on going to medical school, but as the universe would have it, I was working, uh, living in a spiritual community in New York. And I ended up working for this doctor who in the seventies did uh, detoxifying programs using iridology. Yeah. You have to understand that in the seventies, the word detox was not a household name like it is now. So this was very avant-garde. And uh, as is iridology, explain to the listeners what that is, because we haven't had anyone talk about that yet. (laughs) Iridology is very far out. You look in the eye and it's divided into different sections. And if there's these little black dots and you can all go to the mirror and look in certain sections, that is an indication that you have disease or you have a potential to have disease in certain organ systems. And as you detoxify your eyes, irises change. And that, so that is like, you're sick, you do blood work, you do, and then you get better and the blood work changes. It's the same thing with the eye. It's very far out. So he used the eye, the iridology to help people recover their health. And he put them on these juicing diets and blended salads and it was vegetarian and, banana days and nut butter. And it was very far out. And I was coming from a strictly medical background. And I thought to myself, you have bad skin, you take antibiotics, what is the big deal? I mean, that's how naive I was. Mm. And this one young girl came in with horrible cystic acne. And that's when I was thinking, why isn't she just taking antibiotics? And the next month, she came back and she was like 80% better. She'd lost weight. She felt great. And then I started really paying attention, and I realized that he was getting all the people that had either been not served by the medical profession Mm -hmm. or actually made worse. And he was helping them get better. So I became very interested in natural healing. And one day I was going through this huge pile of paperwork that was on his assistant's desk. And there was the catalog to the National College of Naturopathic Medicine. And that was the light bulb moment for me. I thought, oh, Maybe I should go here, and I did. Yeah. (laughs) So Portland, Oregon. Here I come, and uh, then I moved to California and I got my acupuncture license, and I've been here ever since. And that was many years ago already. Yeah. Yeah. And natural medicine and natural healing and functional medicine have really come a long way as has naturopathic medicine in all of this time, I bet, and it's been over 30 years. So we're making progress all the time. But it's still an uphill battle with women as far as and men but we're talking about women here, um, as far as divorcing yourself from the standard American advertising messaging which we get exposed to from a very early age. And people usually have to go through some health crisis uh, before they realize that there is more to health than taking a pill.
1: It seems easier to take the pill until
0: your symptoms get so much worse. There aren't enough pills to
1: fix all your problems. (laughs)
0: Right. Pill 1 deals with symptom A, and then you need pill 2 to deal with the side effect of symptom A etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's like it's like putting a band-aid on a very totally. serious problem especially with hormonal difficulties so often women come in oh yeah i had bad problems and i was put on the birth control pill and here they are many years later they have infertility they've had a blood clot they have depression they've had weight gain their problem is still there and now they're thinking well what else can i do
1: And the root cause of the problem was never discovered. The birth control was a band-aid; It never got to the root cause of the problem, which is what you and I help patients discover. Right. So so through working in that clinic, I think what inspired you to become a naturopath at some point was the change that patients were making, right? This transformation that happened. And part of that involves diet. And I understand you are actually a chef. So you're going to be able to speak to diet changes (laughs) um, better than a lot of my other guests. So, how does someone go from eating that standard American diet, which they think is acceptable and normal and fine, right, to a more vegetable-centric organic diet without just feeling like overwhelmed and how am I going to do this and how am I going to get rid of the Doritos and <laughs> Pop-Tarts
0: right, Doritos. and whatnot? Doritos, yeah, Pop-Tarts, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, Well, I saw people working in this office uh, make radical changes immediately and in a month, and they were very motivated because they were being really sick. So I think if you're very sick, that's a very strong motivation. But Mm -hmm. I think, yes, it is absolutely overwhelming because to go from your standard kitchen to a kitchen that is ecologically minded with no plastic, and maybe you're no longer using your microwave or you no longer, this is a pet peeve of mine where people put these plastic spatulas into the heat and the toxins from the plastic are getting into the food. So there's just a lot to learn and it is definitely overwhelming. So my message is you don't have to do it in a day. You don't have to do it in a week. You can take like a section of your kitchen, like I'm going to get rid of all the plastic and you spend a week doing that and um i love getting jars and putting things that are in plastic in the jars and it makes it looks really pretty in your food cabinet and it's and it's also very healthy and then you could take a day and go through your cabinet and throw out anything that has gluten in it or it's in a box and you have to realize when you're throwing this stuff out you can give it of course to a food pantry yeah, but yeah. When you buy stuff in a box, first of all, it's lost most of its nutritional value. You're paying for the advertising and the box, mm-hmm. the cardboard and the printing and the chemicals that went into preserving the food. So by the time you get that food, there's very little live substance, food, yeah. food yeah. product in a box. So um, yes, there are certain things we buy in a box, like organic brown rice or gluten free crackers. But we're uh, gluten free um, pasta, but we're very conscious of what that is, and it doesn't make up a huge percent of what you're eating. Most of what you're eating, you purchase from the farmers market or you know local health food store or CSA food delivery place boxes, which is so convenient right now. Yep, totally. So
1: we've mentioned how overwhelming it can be for one individual to change what they're eating and to change what's happening in their kitchen. And you have to bring your family along with you. So what are tips for that for enticing the spouse or convincing the kids? Or (laughs) Right. (laughs) I
0: I think that um, this is, first of all, the food that you cook whether it's you as a woman or you as your partner we can't always assume that the woman is the cook sometimes the male or female partner is a cook um needs to be delicious and the wonderful thing about eating this way and i recommend in general a modified mediterranean diet and i can talk about that yeah yeah please do is that it's delicious and it's very easily translatable from the standard american diet into a healthier version of what that can be with more farm to table food. Mm -hmm. And the reason I recommend a modified Mediterranean diet, and I'm sure you've all heard of the keto and the this protein and the no protein and the vegan. I mean, it's totally overwhelming and there is really no one diet For Mm -hmm. everyone, but the modified Mediterranean diet has the most research of the largest population over extended periods, like 22, 25 years. So, of thousands and thousands, like 50,000, 100,000 people. And most of the research, or a lot of it, was done in Greece. And so that bears a lot of weight because what I recommend in my practice is evidence based it's not like I'm making this up from the air. I mean, I do spend a lot of time in PubMed researching. So I feel really confident in recommending the modified Mediterranean. And I modify it because I take away gluten. I think in America, gluten is not so healthy for us the majority of times. It contributes to inflammation, there's GMOs, and most gluten has a lot of carbs and carbs promote sugar and that that creates inflammatory process and there we are we've gained weight so for me it's less carbs because in greece they are eating that delicious bread and some of the orzo and all of that and i focus more on vegetables and some feta cheese and organic chicken and fish and you can have meat every now and then if you choose you don't have to and then a little bit of carbs which is which are gluten-free every now and then and the nice thing about it is you can have wine if you choose red wine every now and then not a lot but
1: every now and then a glass sure i would agree if there was one diet that i could recommend across the board i mean there's no perfect diet there's no one diet for everyone other than i think we should be eating organic mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes. the mediterranean diet is close enough to that. I I totally agree. So we we make this enticable to our family because we're going to cook deliciously is not a word, but we're going to make the food delicious. And my husband does most of the cooking in our household. So That's great. Um, I know he has a lot of spices and um, when he's cooking to flavor up the food and, and it's notable in our now 20 month old, he doesn't want to just eat the plain hamburger. He want to eat, you know, he wants to eat the protein that has been well that, that's more savory <laughs> spices it Great. that Eric makes. so it's, it's interesting to see how his
0: palate is developing well you're gr- you're grooming him that's how you eat as a family i mean you sit yeah. at the table and he looks at what you're eating and he tastes it and it tastes good and so he's developing his taste buds according to what he's being fed and every culture yeah. has their own seasoning base that they use which is i think a beautiful part of epigenetics, which is, yeah. you know, we have genes, but whether they're turned on or turned off has a lot to do with our environmental lifestyle and nutritional factors. Absolutely. I want to go back to the kitchen again, because you you bring up
1: a good point that is often not discussed. So we talk about uh, many times uh, with, at least I do with my patients, I'm sure you do too, about changing the diet, but we have to change the kitchen. So can we talk about how to make the kitchen Less toxic. So you talked about mm-hmm. removing plastic, and I think that's very important. Please do not microwave plastic. Please do not microwave f- food sitting in plastic. Yeah. Oh my um, goodness, so dangerous! I, I swap out. So I used to have a lot of nasty Tupperware, and I've swapped out most of that for glass containers. that uh-huh. do look prettier and nicer, <laughs> more likely to break when my son, you know, goes through that. Oh yeah, absolutely. you ready for that. But I've swapped out that for glass. And, and so that's one swap. And it sounds like that's something you're recommending to your patients. What else do you recommend we be aware of in the kitchen?
0: So what other swaps can we make? Pots and pans. So the nonstick stuff has chemicals that leach through even if they say they don't, a tiny little scratch happens, it's inevitable. And then you're using those plastic based um, spatulas or spoons. And so that heat hits that plastic and then it gets into your food. So actually, there's been a lot of research that one of the number one ways you can prevent iron deficiency anemia is by using those old fashioned black Cast iron skillets. So I love those. I also love the silver stainless steel that you can get from, you know, Sir La Table, they have, or Macy's, they have these sales where you can get a whole set Set. of that. Yeah, yeah. which is yeah and you know you only need to buy it once and uh, the holidays are coming up they'll be having sales you can ask a couple people to get together and this is a present that you will use every day and you'll have for many many years so i like that i mean you know nobody needs another shirt or a pair of pajamas and them something
1: useful yes my my parents gifted me with a salad master set i mean years ago and i you know i when I'm in college, I'm thinking, why do I need this? What This is really expensive. I can't believe they bought this. You know? <laughs> so it was one of my gifts, you know, and at the time I was thinking I wanted something else, but now I'm really thankful that <laughs> because I understand why and feel blessed that they were thinking of that with you know, my health and, and cooking moving forward. Uh, so that I 100% am on board with, with that. So for the utensils though, do you then recommend like wooden spoons? Yes. Or, or, okay, yeah.
0: old fashioned wooden spoons. Are your best bet? Now, I'm a pastry chef where I used to be. So I do have my baking spatulas, which I use when I'm folding egg whites or putting something in a, a cake in a pan, but they never go near heat. So if something is near heat, it's either my wooden spoons or my metal spoons. And um, you get used to it. Uh, I, like those plastic things are very toxic for you. And what I should explain is that they have a chemical in them that's released into the food that mimics estrogen mm-hmm. so when estrogen is processed by your body it needs to bind and uh, it needs to park like in a parking lot let's say as an example it binds with the receptor and then it's eliminated through your urine or feces but these estrogen receptors get blocked up with these chemicals That are called estrogen disruptors because they look very much like estrogen. So when the real estrogen comes in to park and then be eliminated, there's all those parking spots are taken up, and that can create estrogen dominance. You can Mm -hmm. have lots of hormonal problems, PCOS, infertility, breast cancer. Dr. Gray knows a lot about this, so um, we don't want to use plastic.
1: No, no, that's a great analogy. I I really like that. So many women are now realizing, okay, I need to get fragrances out of my life, or I need to switch up my personal care products. But the same is true, not only in the bathroom, it's true in the kitchen. So I, I really like what you're saying about those utensils. So definitely don't park your plastic next to heat, like just don't let those touch you can use the the or even silicone, like, I don't know, if yes. silicone bleeds or what, what are your thoughts on silicone?
0: They, I don't like silicone. I was just talking to, uh, hanging out on Zoom with a colleague and she, was, and she is a naturopathic oncologist and she was using plastic to heat up her food. And I said, what are you doing? She said, well, it's silicone. And I said, I don't care. It's like, yeah, don't yeah. take a chance. It's just not worth it. They go, it doesn't, but I don't believe it. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like plastic is plastic. So I, sure. I mean, I would need to see real research that silicone absolutely does not leach. But it's not, you know, use a wooden spoon. It's like... Sure.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. So what else can we do in the kitchen? Are those kind of the main,
0: main tips, exchanges so we should make? There's the plastic. There's the pots and the pans. There's the dishwashing detergent. Because your hands... Uh, are exposed to this liquid Mm -hmm. that you're using to wash your dishes as well as what's in the dishwasher. And luckily, there's the eco products up the kazoos for dishwashing material and that it doesn't have the fragrance is natural because as you said, the fragrance gets into our systems through our nose, which goes right into our brain. And then there we have estrogen disruption. Mm -hmm. So and the sponges that you use, um, and the cleaning products that you use on the floor or the sink, all of that is gets your body is exposed to that. Aluminum foil is a very big one. Mm. That is uh, a no, no, in my opinion, it's like plastic wrap. Plastic wrap is another no, no. What
1: if the food doesn't touch it? So what should, what if you have aluminum foil? I'm just thinking of the only, only time I use aluminum foil is on the bottom of a baking sheet. And then I'll have like a uh I'll put wings, like if I bake chicken wings on I don't know the kitchen terminology, like a rack. I almost put like a yeah, rack. Yeah, oh, that's so, the, so, fine. That, so if it's not touching the aluminum foil, right. it's just catching the drippings, it's okay, right. but don't cook on the aluminum foil or that could leach. Like don't put the chicken wing directly on the aluminum foil right. or that could leach. Right. But okay. you could also put um uh just paper. Parchment paper Yeah. yeah. Parchment paper instead of aluminum. Makes sense. I wonder about yeah. that parchment paper. I wonder if it's you know coated with what is it coated with? Is there plastic? Yeah, What's I on don't there? Know.
0: You know, that's a good point. I mean, I think as you get more into it, we have to do some research. As a baker, I use that parchment paper all the time. Yeah. I think there are different types of parchment paper, and I, think I you try can to even find get one. organic or like <laughs> yeah. Well, you can get yeah. organic plastic wrap. But it's still plastic. <laughs> right. And you can get organic um aluminum foil and you can get organic wax paper, which is I think that's what, what I buy. Yeah. Me too. So yeah. I mean we do the best we can. Right, right. What and it's you know, you don't want to become orthorexic in your kitchen, which means you're and I had a patient like that obsessed about every little detail that you know that's not healthy food is that stresses you out exactly yeah love and abundance and sharing and having fun so we want to keep that as the foundation and remember that
1: yes so we just slowly start making out swaps right knowledge is power we don't let it overpower us but we just slowly make out swaps So let's talk about gluten and sugar specifically, which are heavily used in the kitchen and in
0: pastries. Yes, they are. I've had my full of that. And did that impact your health, I should ask? Um, Well, you know, when I was a pastry chef, um, I got so immune to it that like making mousse for like 500 people with all that chocolate and and huge vats of heavy cream, huge vats of chocolate and literally for 500 people. Cause I was working in a uh, hotel kitchen. Uh, I, I, it was like, don't even, I don't ever want to see a chocolate mousse again. And I still don't eat it very often, but, um, but when I worked as a chef in a restaurant, when I was in naturopathic school, the husband of one of my friends owned this phenomenal restaurant, and I worked there, and I was Ms. Pudgy, because the food was so good, and we made everything from scratch. This was before the concept of farm-to-table. I was very overweight, and I ate everything, and I loved it, and, and I wasn't healthy. And that that is not healthy. I mean, sure. I realized when I left there that I couldn't eat like that and so um, I don't.
1: You might already know that insulin resistance can lead to weight gain but did you know that it also is one of the leading causes of death for its role in diabetes, heart disease, cancer and Alzheimer's. Diet changes are essential when it comes to combating insulin resistance but additional nutrients can also help. The one I recommend the most, berberine. Berberine is a plant extract that has been used in Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine for over 2500 years. In addition to its long history, modern clinical trials have demonstrated that berberine supports cardiovascular health in a number of important synergistic ways. These include helping you maintain blood pressure, support healthy heart contraction and rhythm, and support healthy cholesterol and glucose levels. Our berberine support product also contains alpha-lipoic acid, or ALA, which has been shown to support blood sugar balance and is also a powerful antioxidant that scavenges free radicals. It's wonderful for maintaining healthy blood vessel and circulatory health. Consider taking the Synergistic Blend daily, or especially if you eat more than normal or indulge over the holidays or a birthday, where it should help reduce blood sugar spikes. Check out our product info sheet at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash product forward slash berberine hyphen support. To get 10% off berberine support, use code berberine at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the show. So why is sugar bad? Why is gluten bad for our health? And then we'll take
0: it a step further and our hormones. Okay. Um, Well, I think that gluten, first of all, it's the type of food that it's in. It's in pastries, it's in pasta, and it's in cookies, and it's in crackers. So it's in this fast food that we as Americans, how many people have start start their day on their way into the office and they stop at the local coffee shop and get a frappy coffee with sugar creamy stuff in it and a pastry and that's how they start their morning so that is like that's the worst possible breakfast (laughs) (laughs) tastes good but it's not good for healthy it doesn't even taste that good good.
1: (laughs) not that i mean you know you get that dopamine hit i guess right so you that's why they're addicted to it many times.
0: <laughs> well, also the sugar creates, you know, uh, uh, when you eat pastries, it creates a lot of sugar in your bloodstream and then the insulin is released to eat that sugar up. And then, so you have a lot of sugar for a while, but then you have that ten thirty crash and that's when you go for another cup of coffee. So, so you're not sustaining your energy in a positive way. It's very draining. And the, I mean, Healthy flour, when it's grown, healthy is, and it's milled freshly. I don't have any problem with that, but it's what, you know, a lot of people buy flour in bags that has, that they process. And bleached. And and, and it's bleached. It has to be super white. I mean, that's not natural food. That's Mm -hmm. just a bleached thing that has lots of GMOs in it that has no nutrition. It's sort of like eating Uh, broken down cardboard. And then you add, you know, margarine and to, to bake with instead of real butter or some kind of saturated fat and white sugar by it's so sweet. Nobody can eat it, but people are used to that. And you have this scone or something that's been mass produced, that's being sold in Safeway. And that's how people start their day. It's very unfortunate. I mean, that and then people wonder why they have obesity, blood sugar and hypertension, cardiovascular disease. I mean, change that. Just that one thing If you change only that one thing, make a commitment. I'm going to change what I eat for breakfast in the morning. Yep. That will make a huge difference in your health.
1: Totally agreed. I many times my patients are are trying uh trialing i should say intermittent fasting so sometimes they will yes. will change them to not have breakfast but some people especially like you know when i was pregnant i can't skip breakfast no, like well, no, some of, of us not. do need to eat <laughs> eat breakfast no, so of healthy fats healthy protein first thing in the morning i'm okay with some fruit you don't want to just have a banana that's going to spike your blood sugar but i'm mm-hmm. okay with some some fruit in the morning but choosing a, a better breakfast is a great way to to nourish your body prevent chronic disease and even help with mental health, as well as uh, reducing autoimmune disease. And that's something that I greatly think gluten contributes to. And maybe you can speak to this a little bit since I'm not a chef, but the way that gluten has been explained to me is that it it helps hold food together. It kind of helps it stay like gunky or or how would you, (laughs) I don't know what the correct term is. Why do they use gluten? And even some, some, I've heard that even some um, chefs will use a
0: high gluten dough. Like what? what's the purpose of that? Right, depends what kind of bread texture you want. If you want a sourdough, it depends on if you want a condensed bread or if you want a puffy light bread, or if you're making pastry, you definitely don't want a high gluten because then the pastry dough or the cookie will come out like lead. But if you're making a dense bread, you are going to want to use a high gluten flour. And if you're making a more lighter bread or you have a sourdough starter, you don't need to use that. So when you're baking and bread baking is very separate from making a crust or making a croissant or making a cookie or making a cake. Uh, It's a very different department, so to speak. And there are people who specialize in only baking bread and it takes a long time because you have to like proof it. You have to know how much water you have to decide how much flour you're going to add. And there are recipes. And sometimes if it's too humid out, the bread doesn't turn out or if the temperature isn't right. I mean, it's not, it's not that easy. And baking gluten-free is, um, a challenge. I've, uh, developed gluten-free flour recipes, and I've gone through a lot of bags of flour <laughs> and a lot of pastries to come up with the right combination. And that's just part of what happens. I mean, if you're dedicated to being a gluten-free chef, eh, you have to be willing to, you know, give away a lot of cookies that, didn't come out or, <laughs> or whatever because I'm not keeping it in the house. That's for sure.
1: I usually just buy a pre mixed, you know, gluten free flour combo. Yes. or can you to our listeners? Can you mention some of your? I mean, I know you you can't give us your exact recipe, but
0: um, no, of course. Kind of wheat alternative flours do you recommend? I think these what's what's on the store now um, in the shelves. Some gluten free f- prepared flour mixtures is great. Um, It's nice if it doesn't have only white flour in it. That's part of the problem with the gluten-free flours. They're all white. So um, like, you know, cornstarch and tapioca and brown rice flour, even if it's brown rice, it's going to be white. So it is a very high glycemic index. Mochi flour is a very high glycemic index. So I like to find a brand that has some teff in it because that's a more natural grain. And then what I often do uh, in my baking is, let's say it calls for two cups of flour, is I'll do one and a quarter cup of the gluten-free flour substitute. And then I'll do three quarters of almond flour, or even a whole cup. So it's half and half. Sure, and the sure. almond flour, there's two different types of almond flour. One is finely ground, without the skins and one is brownish and has the skin. And I use the finely ground one. Okay. Because it gives you a less um, dense product. And I'm talking about making cookies or cakes or a crust. Sure. Um, crust is difficult. Crust, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> so um, it's very hard to get that crispy, flaky thing that you get with gluten regular when you make a cr- with butter when you make gluten free it just it doesn't quite translate
1: what do you have any other tips for gluten free baking that you want to uh,
0: yeah in share? general just general baking tips um the eggs need to be at room temperature take them out the night before or a couple days before when you leave eggs out the protein in the egg whites solidifies and it if especially if you have a recipe that calls for beating egg whites they'll beat more and when you beat egg whites, you want to make sure that the uh, the bowl and the whisks are very dry or else they won't, they won't, and there's no egg yolk in the egg white or else it won't whip up. And you want to start by putting a pinch of salt in it because that helps bind the protein, which is going to get the egg whites fluffy. Um, you start out at a low speed and then you increase it after you see a few bubbles. Um, and then with, so we have... Eggs at room temperature, butter must be also kept out overnight, room temperature. If you're making um, cookies or cake, if you're making crust, it's a different story. But those are, but those are just standard baking recipes. And sometimes the baking time with gluten free is going to be less than with regular. so you have to like check it a little bit more. And sometimes the liquid component might need to be either increased or decreased. You'll have to um, use your, if you've made the recipe before as a regular recipe and you're switching to gluten-free, you'll have to try to remember what it looked like the first couple of times. And don't, you know, if it doesn't turn out perfect, it's not going to be like a horrible disaster. So you just have to lower your perfectionist expectations when you're baking gluten-free and realize that it's a process to learn how to do it.
1: Yep, have patience, yeah. I've noticed a lot of the pre-packaged like mixes have something like xanthan gum, xanthan or gum. gum or something in there. Yeah. So, can you explain why that's in there? Is that just a
0: substitute for the gluten? Yeah, it's a stabilizer and it helps bind. Yes, absolutely. And they do have like those Bob's Red Mill um, brownie recipes or chocolate cake recipes. Yeah. I love their cornbread. They have some good recipes or good mixes, I should say. Yeah, (laughs) Right. But it's so easy to make your own cornbread with, you know, half cornmeal. And then I use cassava flour. Okay. Because it has a lot of protein in it and yeah, very yeah. low glycemic index. So it's so easy to make a cornbread. You just take any recipe and the and you use half of the gluten-free flour mixture and then half of the cassava flour, or uh, you mix that up with the cassava flour instead of the white flour. And then the other half is the cornmeal. And then you just follow the regular recipe. And it's a one bowl thing. It doesn't need to... Be complicated. So there are times when those prepackaged things are really a lifesaver, but in general, I try to start from scratch with that stuff. It takes. I need more practice to,
1: to build my confidence. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. Well, we could have some Zoom
1: appointments. Where there you go. Together. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I I want to talk about baking low sugar also, but before we do that, I want to go back because. We, not that we skipped over, but we just, I was um, just kept grilling you in questions with baking gluten-free. So I want to go back to why sugar is bad for our health and our hormones. So what's the impact? How does it impact our hormones?
0: Well, sugar, when you eat it, causes uh, your glucose in your blood to become elevated. And then that causes insulin to be released from the pancreas because your body is getting a message there's too much sugar so you have the ups of the initial spike of the glucose and then the down when that glucose is removed and that is a lot of pressure on your adrenal glands to keep your energy stable despite you're having this up and this down of sugar like the gas in your gas tank sometimes it's there sometimes it isn't And then your adrenal glands have to come in and try to save the day and keep your energy stable so all of this really impacts your pituitary gland and your inflammatory process and your pituitary is where the master mess or mistress i should say messages are coming from uh, to turn to get the hormones to be released from the different organs so this whole stress system your body has to work harder to function healthily and sooner or later all of this working harder uh, one of these systems of compensation is going to say i'm too tired i can't keep up and that's when you begin to have symptoms but the process leading up to those symptoms has been going on for many years before they actually showed up
1: that's good so essentially i would argue that then your thyroid can tank right so it can impact your thyroid And also, this can impact sex hormones. Also, so Mm -hmm. the more overweight you are, a good analogy is: I'll kind of tell my male patients, even you know, have you seen you know friends with big beer belly? Many times, those guys have higher levels of estrogen Mm because that that fat there that you packed on from eating sugar, right, secretes the aromatase enzyme, which converts their testosterone over to estrogen. So, having Mm -hmm. that sugar, developing that beer belly, or in women, they can have you know larger. You can be larger on any area. (laughs) We all put it on differently. That can actually indirectly lead to more of an estrogen-dominant situation, um, dragging down progesterone, and that can lead to a whole slew of symptoms, which we won't get into today, but we've discussed on some other podcasts. So, sugar is not good for your hormones. It can impact all of them. So,
0: go ahead, if you want to expand. I was just going to say, and sugar drives breast cancer. Ding, ding, ding. So, Um, In uh, 1931, Otto Warburg, who is a German scientist, won the Nobel Medicine Prize for discovering something that was called the Warburg effect. And given a choice of like gas or energy, cancer will choose sugar over oxygen, even though when it makes that decision... Uh, it has to work harder and get less energy from the sugar department than it would if it just went over to the oxygen side. And that's called um, aerobic glycolysis. And so sugar, if you have any type of inflammatory autoimmune, infertility, PCOS, a thyroid problem, sugar is it's not just driving cancer. It's not feeding cancer cells only. It's just creating s- so much more inflammation. Mm -hmm. And inflammation is the root cause of disease for all of all of these illnesses, no Mm -hmm. matter what they are.
1: Totally agreed. So the holidays
0: are coming up. So
1: this is the time of year I I think many of my patients, um, not all of them,
0: but some veer off the bandwagon Slip and eat a little the bandwagon. Yes. yes we're all slipping off we're just teetering <laughs> on the bandwagon to eat or not to eat <laughs> especially with COVID this
1: year many of them have already said I've gained 10 pounds already yeah, this year right is. and I said okay though I stay back the holidays are coming what are we going to do here how are we going to not pack on another 5-10 pounds so that's too much Dr. Yeah. Lori tell us <laughs> yes how can we cook sugar-free how can we still know have uh, enjoy the holidays have delicious uh, i'll say still treats right how can we yeah. still um not overindulge but still enjoy indulge have fun with our family have some treats that are more low sugar what are your sugar substitutes
0: what do you recommend there i should just start out by saying that my free gift to everyone here is every year i put out my um pastry baking uh, ebook that I have spent many months and trying not to gain the weight from trying the pastries myself. (laughs) of um, taking recipes where I make gluten free, and maybe you have either no sugar or extremely low sugar. So I've really changed my my palate. And, um, it takes a while, but now when I try a regular pastry with all that sugar, it's just very unattractive. It's too sweet. So I, um, there are ways, like if you're making a date nut bread, you do not need sugar because dates are naturally sugar. Um, if you're making banana bread, you don't need, it's very easy. You do not need sugar. If you're making a chocolate cake, you need very, very little sugar. So it is a bit about adjusting your palate. And if you are going to put sugar, what the the options that I use are either monk fruit sugar, which you can easily find at the health food store or date sugar or a maple syrup sugar or honey, or I mean, that's just those four things are enough. Now, brown sugar is white sugar that has molasses in it. No, we don't want to do that. But sometimes a couple tablespoons of molasses, especially if you're baking a um, spice cake or something, are just fine. But I think we have to realize that the old way of looking at things as far as being super sweet, it's not happening anymore. Now, if you're making a delicious butter cookie recipe to decorate your cookies, if you can easily use maple syrup instead of the white sugar for that. And I, I, would ha- I would start out by doing a quarter or a third of the amount. So if it called for two cups of flour, you can use the gluten-free. And then if it called for um, like a cup of sugar, which is just so much... I would do a quarter cup of maple syrup sugar and I would be fine with that. So
1: go down, you're saying, so literally, just want to make sure I heard you right. Instead of a cup of processed white sugar, you could use a fourth cup of maple syrup. Yeah. Okay. What about what about
0: coconut sugar or even stevia? What uh, are your thoughts on I those? I think coconut sugar is great. Okay. And um, I'm sorry, I forgot. Thank you for mentioning Oh, that's okay. That. I just, I yeah. use that and just yeah. want to know what you... I think coconut sugar is great, but you have to realize that some of the food that you're making is going to taste like coconut. So you have to be as is coconut flour. So you have to be, you know, you have to experiment and you have to really like just be okay. If it's like, Oh, it has a little too much coconut. It's like, fine. It's still delicious. People love it. And I'm not a big Stevia fan, especially for baking. I don't, I know it's a natural leaf, but it's just so processed. I just, I think that, you know, Go to, go to nature. What's in nature? Honey, maple syrup, maple sugar, monk fruit, yep. coconut sugar. It's all from nature. You can't go wrong with that. I mean, that makes sense. Like we have options.
1: So, how does changing this diet, uh, changing our diet, and living this way impact our health and longevity? So, what what are we going for here? We've we've already mentioned reducing glucose and insulin. <laughs> how else is that going to impact our longevity?
0: where as we get older, it gets more difficult to hold on to what we had. And I know this sounds strange, but I'm like, past my 50s already. And you look great. (laughs) Well, Thank you. Thanks for the beauty parlor. And um, I also take a ton of supplements and I watch what I eat. So I practice what I preach and I exercise. So I think I know this sounds strange and you don't think about it when you're in your forties, but you want to begin to think about how you're going to hold on and maintain what you have as you get older. And nobody is talking about this. So in your forties, you really want to, if you're out of shape and if you don't, uh, the word exercise has such negative connotations to people. So I'm going to reframe it positive Movement for you. you Whatever that is walking, Pilates, swimming. Doing dancing at home in front of the television. There's now this thing I've seen on Facebook. It's like a mirror that you put up on the oh, wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's connected to some, I don't know what. And, the, you know, there's exercise stuff going on there. There's the Peloton bike, I mean, which is a lot of my friends are getting. So, whatever you need to do, which is going to be fun, positive movement, let's delete the word exercise because we all had traumatic gym experiences and start having fun with movement. And We want to build muscle mass and we want to build bone and uh, tendon strength in your 40s because you don't want to end up in your 90s or in your 80s with a walker or in a wheelchair. And the way to keep that from happening is 40 years in advance. I know you can't relate to this conversation, but it happens before you know it. So what we want is as we get older... First of all, I think how we feel about ourselves, we all have this little negative voice in our head where, you know, we're not good enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not tall enough, we didn't do this right, we only did that, we should have done A and we did B. I mean, we need to begin to become aware of that negative voice and just, you Mm -hmm. can't tell it to shut up, but you can say okay, I'm going to take a break. Let's, let's turn the volume down and just turn that
1: mean girl off.
0: Yeah. yeah, Don't listen to her. Yeah. Mean inner voice of, you know, you're not enough. You didn't do, you did something wrong or whatever. It's like, we need to begin to really embrace how much we do in a day. And you as a mom of your beautiful boy and this work that you do, I mean, if you made a list of every single thing you did in a day, there'd probably be a thousand things in it. I mean, And who acknowledges that most of us don't get that acknowledgement. So it needs to come from ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I think that is really important for our longevity with our attitude and then maintaining and understanding that we're building our health in our 40s for as we get older, that will help maintain your longevity.
1: I love that word, build. That's the whole preface of my book. I mean, it's about building you know, your longevity blueprint back there. I see it. It's
0: beautiful. It's just all of, beautiful.
1: All about building longevity. And so you've given us many tips today to help, especially since the holidays are, are coming up. Hopefully, we'll have more
0: fun in the kitchen. I hope <laughs> and not so. feel deprived, but have some no. Options. I'm not into deprivation. Yeah. No, no, I don't. You know, we don't want to do that. We want to have the holidays, especially with the difficulties we've all had this last year, be times of joy. And baking and shipping things to friends who you can't get together with in person is a really nice thing to do. So how can our listeners get a copy of this free pastry guide that
1: you're preparing for the year?
0: Well, it will be on my website under the download sections. So my website is my name, Laurie, L-O-U-R-I-E dot com. And under the download section, you just go there and you'll have to put in your email. But we don't spam or nothing. And sure. your um, this and anything else that you want that's on my website will be sent to you immediately.
1: Awesome. So we'll have this post in des- posted in December, so you can get a copy of that pastry guide. I know I'm looking just in time. To- yeah, <laughs> yes. Exactly, exactly. I'm looking forward to using that. So I want to conclude with your top longevity tip. This could be something that you utilize daily. I mean, it's part of your daily routine. What's your top longevity tip?
0: I do something every day that has nothing to do with anything other than nurturing my inner being. Like? So give me an example of what that is for you. <laughs> and and for me, that is um, often gardening. Okay. You know, I can go out and I have all my pots and my, uh, my plants and pots, I'll water them. I'll talk to them, and I will deadhead them, and um, that can take five or ten minutes. And uh, and I'm outside in the sun. Yes, and um, exposed to the microbes. Around. You're grounding. You have Dead. the light. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I do. But um, if you can't go out, especially as it's getting going to be colder and snowing where where a lot of people live or raining, hopefully, where I live. I think just sitting and looking out the window and meditating and just clearing your mind. I mean, those five or 10 minutes where you just bring energy into yourself make a really big difference in how much you love yourself and how much you can give to others and your family and friends and the world in a positive way. And that needs to happen more for all of us. It starts with our inner connection.
1: That's so good. We
0: should start the day that way and end the
1: day that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> a wonderful point. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm glad that I had a chef on. I think our listeners will find this very valuable come the holidays and, and year round. So thank you for all your expertise. Thank you for coming on the show today.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great to be here.
1: I can't wait to get my hands on her free pastry guide. My talents have not been good in the kitchen, but I have a feeling this guide will help me up-level those baking skills. I hope this episode inspired you to have fun in the kitchen and to reframe your idea of exercise into positive movement. Enjoying clean, healthy, low-sugar foods and keeping our bodies moving, no doubt, will help us hold on to what we have and age more gracefully. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online, where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, not only is the course 50% off, but you also get your first consult with me for free. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.